Father, we need you. Lord, without you we can do nothing, and we believe with all of our heart that with you all things are possible. And so God, be glorified in this place today. We're a small people, but you're a great God. Lord, it pleases you to use the weak and foolish things, the things of this world to bring great glory to your name. And so God, it's on our heart today that no flesh would glory in your presence. That uh, Lord, we'd just be able to worship you in spirit and truth. We'd be able to hear your word and to not just, not just gain intellectual insight, but Lord, speak to our hearts, conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we want what was lost in the Garden of Eden restored in us. We wanna be sanctified and fully conformed to the image of Christ. And so God, we're trusting that you would use this today. There's a, there's a thousand, there are thousands of conversations that need to take place uh, every week when we come together. Lord, use us to edify our brothers and sisters. God, I thank you for the Vasquez's and their faithfulness, how they have served so faithfully uh, for so long here at MBT. We would not be where we're at without them. And Lord, we pray for your blessing on them as they move to Guatemala, that God, you would use them there, that, that Guatemalans would come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they wouldn't put their trust in religion, but in the Savior. God, be glorified in our brother and our sister as they're apart and away from us. God, bless the giving. Lord, use it for your glory. Lord, help us to be reminded as we give of our responsibility to own the ministry. We are all to be stewards, and, and so, Lord, would you bless not just the offering, but, but, Lord, the stewards who are investing their lives to see ministry move forward. We pray for our brothers and sisters all over the world. Uh, for the church in Tampa and in Lee Summits and in Boston and our disciples in Vietnam and Nairobi, in Dallas and in Denver and, and Lord, in, in Laramie and, and uh, Lord, for, for people viewing in Tucson. And it, God, we just ask that you would have your way in every case, in every heart. You're a mighty God and the work is wonderful to watch. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be a part. We give you all the glory in Christ's name, amen. Okay, oh. Oh, Mela Garcia's last Sunday too. Where's Mela going? Huh? Oh, she's gotta go to, school's not done. Yeah, where are you going to school, Mela? Texas, which town? Where? El Paso. Yeah, man, we love you, sister. Mela, can you do a 360? The residency program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mela, can you do a 360 so everybody can see who you are? Isn't she lovely? Okay. This is your chance to love on Mela before she goes. Man, this is it. You have to come back. Okay. All right, grab your Bibles. Genesis chapter two, a little bit of review, and then we'll get into it. We left off. What we were looking at is the creation of Adam. Uh, man is unique in terms of all of God's creation. We saw from, as we compared chapters one and two, he is created, he was made, he was formed, but he also is become in Genesis 2-7. And so we see that man is very unique. Verse seven said, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul 
So Adam, and so also all of his descendants, you can turn to your neighbor and say, hey, cuz, red, brown, yellow, black, and white, our greatest grandfather is Adam. Adam was Trinitarian in nature, so are you, right? Man is a tripartite being. You are made in three, body, soul, and spirit. You have a body, so, and this is what we saw last time, so you can relate to life in the earth, but you've got the spirit, right? God put spirit in you. Why do you need spirit? Well, so you can relate rightly to your life in Christ. How did God's spirit get into man? Well, in Adam's case, God breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. Something that was, I mean, this blows my mind every time I consider it. Something that was in God, God put it into Adam. Now that's amazing. Something that was in God was inspirated, right? Inspirited, respirated into Adam's body. So part of who God was is now in Adam. This is who Christ is, John chapter one, verse four. In him, in Christ, in Jesus is what? Life. So the life of God is now in Adam and the result is a living soul. He became, man became a living soul. And so now Adam is legitimately God's offspring, Luke Chapter 338 says so. This is why as a living soul in Genesis 1.26, God says, right, this is again, this is the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've already done that homework. Let us make man, how? In our image. The image of God, that's what we're talking about when man becomes a living soul. And after our likeness, if if you'd have set up Adam and Jesus side by side, you would have said, twins, right after our likeness and let them have dominion. So Adam is now the offspring of God, Luke 3.38 explicitly says, Adam, talking about Christ's genealogy, uh, he was the supposed son of, who was the 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 son of Seth, which is the son of Adam, which is the son of God. Okay, so there it is, Uh, Christ, Joseph wasn't his, that was his, that's, that's stepdad, right? That's, that's his earthly father who is not his father at all. Uh, he was born of a virgin, so his human genealogy goes back through Mary's line. So talk about unique. Here's a mud ball that becomes God's child. Think Satan's gonna have an issue with that? Okay, so let's talk about body, soul, and spirit. We introduced this concept last time. Let's review it before we look at the work that Adam has. In Genesis three, Adam basically takes what doesn't belong to him. It's not on the menu. He eats and he is in now sin against God. He's in rebellion against God and he gives birth to a rebellious little sinner. Uh, The first baby ever born grew up and murdered his little brother. And so we all have Adam's sin nature. So before salvation, after Adam's sin, I mean the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, in Adam all die. We're all stuck in sin, we're tied to the sins of the flesh. So what we need is the operation of God to cut us free from our life in the flesh and restore the life of Christ. So Colossians 2. Grab your Bibles, well actually I threw it up, let's throw it up on the screen, okay, so Colossians 2, check this out. Believers, this is written to believers, believers, you're complete in Christ. 
which is the head of all principality and power, in whom, in Christ also, ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Okay, so I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands how many people have been physically circumcised, but how many people know what I'm talking about in terms of physical circumcision? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, okay, so I didn't wanna have to do this. Less than half the people raise their hand. What? Um, you put me in a bad, a very difficult position. This, uh, there's a live stream that's going out everywhere. And Okay, so here it is. You know I'm not scared. Um, so, so some families elect. Now, in terms of Judaism, this was part of how they identified as God chosen, God's peculiar people. Um, after birth, the male member, does everybody know what I'm talking about there? Oh, God, have mercy. Please, everybody knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> in terms of the male member. Okay, so there is, that male member is in a sheath, it's in, a, it's, in it's what's called a foreskin that covers the, the, the tippy tip of the male member. <laughs> and, and that, I mean, I don't wanna describe it too, too much, but, but basically that, sin, that skin, sorry, that skin is circumscribed away from the male member. Do I have to act it out any more than that? Um, please don't make me do it. Okay, so, so that foreskin, right, there, it's, it's circular, and it's circumscribed away, and it's no longer part of the life of this male Hebrew child. Everybody's with me so far? That's a circumcision. It's the circumscribing away, the circumcision away of the flesh. So what you need, yes, I'm talking to the ladies, you, I'm, uh, men and women, we all need a circumcision. But it's not like what we saw after the baby was born. No, no, no. This is a circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Man, that blows my mind to have me a living soul to, be, to have the body of the sins of my flesh cut away from me. You're like, well, I see you preaching in flesh and blood. Eh, we need to talk about that. It's the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. How did it happen? Well, you believed on the gospel and so God put you in the person of Christ himself. And so now just as you are buried with Christ, verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith, here's, here it's called the operation of God, through faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead, and here's the result, verse 13, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us. All those sins of the flesh, all those things that you did wrong and in rebellion against your creator, you were tied to that because your soul was stuck, for lack of a better word, it was one with your flesh. Whenever you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, you believed on it, and everything that you did that was sin against God, the Bible says that God reckoned it on Christ, Christ took our sin to the cross of Calvary, nailed our sins to his tree, and so just as Christ was crucified, he died, he was buried, and he was resurrected, when you believed on Christ as your sin bearer, 
God put you in the person of Christ himself. And an operation took place. Now you're not tied to the sins of the flesh. It's taken out of the way. It's nailed to Jesus' cross. And verse 15 says that Satan no longer can claim any ownership over you. You have been stolen from the kingdom of darkness, purchased and made part of the kingdom of light. So how this works is you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says that you believe on, right? It's the preaching of the gospel that saves a a lost man or woman. So you heard the gospel, you believed on the gospel. Faith, believing, cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, how does, how does, what does that do? How does that become the operation of God? Well, the word of God in Hebrews 4.12, we find out it's alive and it's powerful and it's a scalpel. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. That's the spiritual part of you. The dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. That's the physical part of you. It has the ability, the word of God has the ability to separate the spiritual part of you from the physical part of you. Do you see what the Bible says? So faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God was preached to you. You believed on the gospel of Jesus Christ and in believing it, the scalpel of God's word entered into you and cut you away from yourself. How many are like, this dude is on crack? I've never heard anything like this. Man, the stuff in the Bible is amazing, isn't it? And it's called the operation of God. When you believe the gospel, the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and he starts doing surgery on you. Why? Because you're stuck to Adam and you need to be stuck to the last Adam. Right now, as an unbeliever, I'm I'm stuck to the sins of the flesh, but when I believe on the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm cut loose from this body of the sins of the flesh, and I am joined to the person of Christ himself. I am made one with my creator. How many know that we all need that? We need to be restored, the likeness, this fallen likeness and image that was lost in the Garden of Eden. We need that restored in our lives. See, when you believe, let's go ahead and, so we got our man here. So I wanna make sure, for those that didn't catch it as I was going through it, let's make sure that we see it. Um, go, go back one. Okay, so there you are. Uh, you went back to, there we go. Okay, so there you are. You're, this, is, this would represent you stuck, the little, the little dude. Uh, you're, how many already have a face and a mustache on your dude, on your face? Yeah, okay, that's, okay. So, When you believe on the gospel, before we were using it as the spirit entering into the man and the soul becoming, but let's just show it as the operation of God now. So you believe on the gospel, and you see how it just separates the soul from the spirit, and now your soul is separate, right? Who you are in the flesh is no longer your identity. It's who you are in Christ, and so you can see the soul now has some independence from the flesh. I didn't know how else to illustrate that, but there it is, and, and uh, you, can, you can take that and use that uh, as you see fit. So after salvation, after the finished work of Christ at Calvary, when you believe on the gospel, the good news of Christ as your sufficient sin bearer, the one who paid the penalty, he's the only one that could live the life. You and I were called to it, we couldn't do it. Christ is the only one that ever did, ever could. He is the perfect Lamb of God, 
which bore our sin, the wrath of God was satisfied over your wickedness and mine at Calvary. And when you believe on that, not just intellectually, you know the devils believe, they know what's right and true, but they're not submitted. Have you ever come to the place in your life where you've believed on the gospel of Jesus Christ, where you've said, God, I'm a sinner, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and life. Forgive my sins, save me. I wanna be born again. He'll do it. He will rescue you from who you are in Adam. He will perform spiritual uh, surgery on you with the word of God. He will separate you from your life in the flesh and he'll make you one with Christ himself. Man, it costs God everything to pay for that surgery. And you and I got it for free. Glory to God. After salvation, you are stuck to Christ via the function of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, he that is joined unto the Lord is one Spirit. And just like you have to keep under your body, you gotta take care of it. If all you do is, is uh, drink uh, uh, quick trip cappuccinos and, don't, and eat donuts, right? How long are you gonna live? You might make 40 if you're lucky, okay? You have to take care of your body, don't you? You have, to, you, have to, you have to maintenance it. You have to take care of it. Well, take care of your soul, right? Feed your soul with the word of God. Exercise your faith. Position yourself so that you're growing in Christ. Uh, come back to church. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves. We have to come together to provoke one another to love and to good works. We need to be accountable in the word of God. Be a part of a Bible study. Don't be one of those Christians who has a form of godliness but there's no reality where you're, you're playing at being a Christian like little kids play at house. Uh, you, uh, if you're a child of God, God wants to use you for his glory, amen? So get accountable, get in the word of God with the people of God to the glory of God. Grow. All right, now let's pick it up in, oh boy, we got a long way to go, brothers. Sisters, keep them awake. So what we're gonna see next is, remember, we saw that Adam had a mission to fulfill. We looked at that in Genesis chapter one. What we're gonna see now, after the making of Adam in verses eight through 17, uh, this gives the physical description and talks about the provision, the location for Adam's mission, uh, the Garden of Eden. Let's look at the provision in verses eight and nine. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Semicolon. And then you need to know about two trees in particular. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So every tree is in the garden and they're pleasant to the sight, they're good for food. So get this down in your notes if it's not there. Everything except, we're gonna see, the fruit of one tree is on the menu. So here's the question, is God stingy or is he generous? There's two people on planet Earth and the whole Earth is full of food for them. Is God holding out on them or is he being generous to them? Obviously, he's being generous, isn't he? God, our God is a generous God. So right there is a, I mean, it should be Father's Day today because right here we're seeing how a father treats his son. Everything that you need for life, it's provided. 
God is a generous father. And so here's an exercise this week. Don't focus on the one thing that you think, you, if you just have that one thing, you'd be happy. Oh, if she would just say yes, I'd be so happy. No, you wouldn't. Uh, because the way you roll, you'd have her mad at you in two weeks anyway. Okay, so, oh, if I could just have that car, that one, if I, that car would make, no, it won't. That car will rust and fall apart just like the last car you didn't take care of. Oh, if I could just get the, those shoes, if I could just get those shoes, I'd look, I'd just look like, oh, 100. No, you'd scuff them. The first time you walked, don't focus on the thing that you can't have, right? There's one tree that's not on the menu. Instead, count your blessings. Make that your homework this week. Everybody in this room has things that aren't going right in their life. And if you look at it in light of everything that God is doing in your life, you'd re- you would recognize, I got nothing to cry about, right? Got 99 problems, but God in my life isn't one of them, is he? Who God is and what God's doing, it is massive, it's infinite. And it would take you eternity to count all your blessings. Thank God we'll have it. So count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings. Just see what God has done. That's for the old timers. Okay, every tree. Now there's two trees that we saw in the midst of the garden, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's your next two blanks. These two trees, let's look at them briefly. The tree of life is not just symbolism in Genesis. Genesis is not a creation myth. Okay, there are, you know, every, every uh, civilization has what scholars call creation myths. And uh, they're all basically telling a similar story. What you need to know is in the Bible, holy men of old spake as the Holy Spirit led, guide, and instructed them, right? The Bible is the word of God to his people. And so unless the Bible shows you how to take it figuratively, it shows you uh, uh, the symbolism, uh, you need to take it at face value. It says what it means and it means what it says. The tree of life is not some symbol for a connection with God in the Old Testament. It's an actual tree that provides life and it reappears in Revelation 22 for the exact same purpose of providing life. Revelation 22.2 in the new creation, we see heaven, we see the new Jerusalem, we see God's uh, final conclusion to the whole story of humanity and in this we find a tree. In the midst of the street of it on either side of the river was, the, was there the tree of life which bare 12 manner of fruits and yield her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So it's gonna be used, this tree, obviously, from Genesis 3 to where it will be in the new creation, it's been cultivated, and uh, it's an instrument of eternal life for the nations from the millennium forward. Uh, so here's what you need to know as a believer in Jesus Christ, only, you won't actually need that tree to survive in eternity uh, because your life, Christ is your life, right? Your life is the life of Christ. So only born again believers have the promise of a glorified eternal body. Uh, When the church is raptured, when Christ comes for his bride, this corruptible, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, puts on incorruption. How many are gonna be so excited when your back doesn't hurt anymore? I mean, God, thank you. 
Um, you know, when I was young, I'd go to bed, my feet were just killing me. You know, I maybe had a rough day or a hard day. Uh, no problem, if I'm just off my feet for a few minutes or an hour, they feel fine. I wake up the next morning fresh as a daisy. Now it's like, how can my feet be hurting worse than they did last night? What in the world is going on, you know? This corruptible puts on corruption. This mortal puts on immortality. Death is swallowed up in victory. That promises only to the New Testament born-again believer. Okay, let's talk about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We see that here in verse 9, but we'll also see it in verse 17. Uh, People want to talk about the identity of the tree. Uh, Everybody, for whatever reason, the artists like making it an apple tree. That's not what the Bible says. It's the tree, it's the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If we're gonna speculate about the identity of this tree, I can't be emphatic about this. Okay, I'm just be upfront with you. I can't be emphatic about this suggestion, um, but there is a connection to one tree in your Bible. So if I'm gonna bet on any tree, here's the likely candidate. There's only one tree in the Bible that is connected with that has prohibitions of any kind, and that's the vine tree. Uh, That's what goes in your blank. Uh, You actually see it prohibited. The the Nazarite can't partake of the vine in Numbers 6. So in Numbers 6, 4, the vine, so we're talking about a grape-bearing vine, right? The the, the grape tree. It's called a vine tree in Numbers 6, verse 4. So it's the only tree with a prohibition. It is the tree that Noah used to enter into sin in Genesis chapter nine. We'll see that. Uh, It has, from Genesis nine all the way through your Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it's the only tree that the Bible describes as a path to drunkenness. It's associated with a great whore in Revelation 17. But here's the one that gets my attention. In John chapter 15, Jesus said he was the true vine. So if he calls himself the true vine, that means by implication there must be a what? A false vine. There's a, if there's a true vine, then that means there's a, there's a vine that comes up short. So what vine are we talking about? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, I'll let you, this is just your homework. You can check this out. I pray nobody goes to seed on this, but in Deuteronomy 32, you see two vines. You see a true vine that yields the pure blood of the vine Uh, The pure blood of the vine, that's what we take every Lord's Supper, isn't it? Uh, Why do we use grape juice instead of fermented wine? Well, because of the picture of the type. The blood of Christ, yeast in your Bible, is associated with sin, isn't it? Leaven, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It's the leaven of sin, the leaven of the Pharisees. And so, So the blood of Christ is the pure blood of the Lamb of God that's qualified to take away the sin of the world. At Calvary, he was bruised, he was crushed for our iniquity, the blood ran out, and that's what washes our sin away. If it's corrupted, right, if it's not the pure blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, well then it's not qualified to wash our sin away. Does everybody see that picture? Uh, So that's why we use grape juice um, for the Lord's Supper. So you see a true vine, and it's described as the pure blood of the vine in verse 14, and then you see that which is corrupted in verses 32 and 33. And what you'll see in that is you just compare your scripture with scripture, as you study your Bible, you're gonna find out there's basically two religions in this world. There is a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're either connected to the true vine, and then there's everything else. Uh, So, 
you're, you're, you're welcome to study that out more, but, but if there is gonna be an identity for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that's in the Bible, well then, that's the only one that I know to point you to. Um, I, I will not be surprised to find out when we look at God's home DVD collection that it is a vine tree. Okay, now before we connect the dots on that, look at verses 10 through 14. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that, that is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. There is Bedellum, the onyx stone, and the name of the second river is Gihon. The same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hittical, and that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. So here the word of God is, is giving us insight in terms of the dimensions and the location of Eden. Eden, we know from Ezekiel 28, was the place of Satan's headquarters. It was the place of his rule on earth. And the word Eden means delightsome. It means pleasure. So God in his love, he's providing everything for Adam and Eve, but he's, he, he's put them, he's provided a delightsome, a pleasurable home for them to live. Everything is, everything is made so that Adam can enjoy it. So this area that we're describing is the Fertile Crescent that you would have studied about in like fourth grade world history. Remember fourth grade, fifth grade world history? No? They didn't talk about the Fertile Crescent in elementary school? What is happening to our educational system? Did you hear about the Fertile Crescent in college? How many know about the Fertile Crescent? Well, you do now, I already told, okay. So it's the Fertile Crescent, okay. so. Now, obviously, we're on this side of Noah's flood, and so geography, we know as we study our Bible, has radically changed, and, and, and we can't find these four rivers. Two of the four can be identified today. The Euphrates is still a mighty river, and it plays an important role in tribulation prophecy, and I gave you those references in your notes. Revelation 9, uh, really, verses uh, uh, 13 through 16, and chapter 16, verse 12. Now, the Hittical, that's the Tigris River. That's what we call the Tigris today. There are four great rivers mentioned in your Bible, and so people speculate about the Nile and the Jordan. But uh, let's go ahead and throw the picture up. Okay, we got the picture up. Uh, the small triangle, uh, for sure, is what we're talking about, and possibly, when we take into account Ethiopia, uh, we're looking at a much larger triangle, uh, but that's what's being described. That eastward, uh, the eastward triangle, the part of the triangle, that's, that's tracking alongside the, Babylon, uh, the Euphrates River uh, coming down to, uh, through Babylon, okay? So we're talking about Eden being a, a massive piece of property, um, uh, very large. Okay, if, if you go with the size of this, especially encompassing um, you know, the territory for Ethiopia could have changed, but, but we're still talking about a massive plot of land that interestingly is somewhat in the neighborhood of the size of the New Jerusalem. Okay, so that just, that just gets my attention. Um, notice the triangle shape Right, it's more than a thousand miles. 
Um, the triangle shape, well that's, um, if you take the Genesis class with me, and I think we spent a little bit of time on that in this study, uh, we know that the, the shape of the universe itself is in the shape of a garment. Okay, so you can see the head there up around Mount Hermon. Well, well, here my triangle is a little north of Mount Hermon, maybe Mount Ararat. Uh, you see the head, and then you see this garment shape coming down. Well, that's how the universe itself is described. But, but could it be that there's some connection between Edom, uh, Eden and the New Jerusalem? Um, the Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem is a city four square, and that's, I mean, if you look at a 3D triangle, isn't that four square? Aren't there four points on a pyramid? Okay, so this is for all of the, the nerds. Go ahead and bring up the, the, the next slide. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, so you've got, you've got on the one side, there's the New Jerusalem in geosynchronous orbit over Jerusalem, uh, you know, just saying it's, that's something for the sci-fi nerds to think about. Okay, so verse 15. God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. See, I know what some of you guys are thinking right now. He just called me a nerd. Keep thinking. How did I know to put that photo up there? Okay, so, the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So here's what I want us to see this morning. There's a work and there's a decision in the midst of the garden here in verses 15 through 17. So let's talk about the work. Eden is a place where Adam has a job. He has labor. And that's always been God's plan for man. We need to work. Adam has a work to do. We have a work to do that has never changed. Matthew Henry said that Adam could not have been happy if he'd been idle. It is still a law that he that will not work has no right to eat, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. We are made to work. We're happiest when we're working well. So God puts him, I mean, this is heaven, this is paradise, okay? He puts him in this paradise and he says, get to work. You think about heaven. If heaven is just clouds and a harp for eternity, if people would, they, if people could, they would commit suicide. I mean, that just sounds like, I mean, heaven would turn into bore, uh, boredom, right? It would be the, the hell of boredom, boredom uh, in no time. Uh, heaven is not harps, y'all. There'll be praise and worship in eternity, but Isaiah 9 is very clear. Of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. It's an everlasting, it's a never-ending, it's an ever-increasing government. You'll have work to do in heaven. So here's the, here's the key that we need to get. From the beginning, man is placed under God's rule. This is where people get messed up. Man was not created to live as he pleases, but to live as it pleases God. Did you get that? You are not made to do what you want. You were made to please God. You don't get to live your life how you want, doing what you want. You belong to your, you belong to your creator. And, and until you submit to his will, his word over your life, you will be consistently nothing but miserable. And everything that you put yourself to will be frustration for you. You were made to please your creator. The Bible calls you a steward. You have a responsibility 
1 Corinthians 4, verses one and two says, let a man so account of us as, the, as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, moreover, verse two says, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. This is why the Bible tells us in Colossians 2, 23, that whatsoever we do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Well, I'm working real hard to please myself for myself. It's all an end to myself. Uh, welcome to a miserable life. You were made for God's glory. Adam was to be a gardener and a guardian. It's your next two blanks in your notes. Adam was to be a gardener and a guardian. Uh, again, there's work, there's activity, there's industry, even in paradise. The plants have the seed in themselves, but there was no one to cultivate the garden, and so that is Adam's responsibility to work, but also he has to keep watch. He had a responsibility to keep the Garden of Eden. That means to observe or to take heed. It means to watch or to protect, okay? Protect is your last blank there. Why does Adam have to guard and protect the garden? Well, we'll keep reading and we'll find out there's a snake in the garden. That's a big problem, I told you this before. I used to have a snake in my garden, and we were buddies, and he helped keep the bugs and the, and the critters down in my garden, and I thought we'd had a, two or three years of this. I was like, where are your kids, man? I mean, are you just batching it here? You know, there's only one snake, one garter snake in my garden, and, and, uh, and so I'm happy with that, and, and uh, one year, I, I always kept, an, you know, always kept an eye on the snake in my garden, uh, we were kind. We'd do the, you know, the, the head nod. You know, I'd be like, hey man, how are you doing? And be like, you know, <laughs> okay, fine, you know. It's like, it's okay. And I need to till my garden because it's my garden. And I'm gonna move my buddy over to the other garden spot. He can work that plot for a while while I'm, because he doesn't want to be in the garden while I'm turning it over. And, and, uh, and so I get a couple sticks because I'm not stupid. And I'm gonna move my buddy with a couple sticks to the other guard. That dude tried to bite me. And I'm like, you don't understand. I love you, man. This is for your own safety. Uh, let me move. He tried to bite me again. You know how the story ends. I found the shovel, and now I don't have a snake in my garden. Okay, so there's a, there's a snake in the garden. So. Adam, guard it, be on guard, watch, you have to keep it, there's trouble in paradise. So I don't want you to miss the picture. The same thing's true today, you remember Paul? He called a meeting with the elders at, at Ephesus, he said, hey, meet me in Miletus. And remember what he said to him? For the space of three years, man, night and day, crying with tears, I was warning you, I'm telling you, grievous wolves, they're always at work to enter in of your own selves, these, these wolves will rise up and they'll try to draw disciples away from themselves, uh, away from the church to themselves. They, 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 there's always a predator looking for prey and it's even in the church. Just real subtly eyeball your neighbor. You can even ask them, are you one? Okay. I mean, there are predators in the, in, in the church, yes. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. What's husbandry? If I'm God's husbandry, that means I'm a, I'm a plant, aren't I? This is, look, look at the garden of God. Just everybody look around. This is, this is just part of the garden plot that is MBT. We are God's husbandry. 
What is a husband? What is a husbandman? Well, that's a gardener. Why is a dude, when he gets married, called a husband? What's up with that? Oh, yeah, if your wife is wilting, whose fault is that, jerk? Whose fault is that when your wife is wilting, husbandman? She, her, is she thriving? Is she, is she moving forward in faith? Is she growing? Well, you have a big say in the quality of her life, husband. Ye are God's husbandry, God's people. We are a garden, and make no mistake, there is a snake. So we are to dress and keep the garden. Okay, very quickly, the decision. So we talk about the work, let's talk about the decision. What's for lunch? Everything's available, everything's allowed for Adam's benefit and satisfaction except one tree. And that tree exists as a test, it it exists as a decision. Uh, The test is fair, it's just. Adam only has one prohibition, now he's got a job, right? To guard, to keep, to tend, but to protect also the Garden of Eden. There's no prohibition there, Uh, it's just a job. But here we have a prohibition. We got one commandment that's forbidding anything. Adam and Eve, God, he's a good father. He makes sure that his kids have everything that they need. They don't need the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God, he's not being unreasonable. He's not being petty. He's not being tyrannical. Uh, he is a good father. So what's, what, what, what do we see here? God is showing Adam that he has a free will. Okay, say whatever you want, God's not a Calvinist. He gave Adam a choice, he has free will. So this is the gift of choice. And nothing has changed today. Say whatever you want. This is why you see people in in Calvinistic theology and they recognize that they, they, what they, what, this is typically the pattern that takes place. They can't stop sinning. There'll be some area, there'll be some point, and they, and they very quickly make the connection, well, I'm not persevering as a saint, which must mean then that I'm not elect, and since I'm not elect, that means God pre-chose me before the foundation of the world to spend eternity in hell, so why try? It's very similar to a lot of charismatic theology where you know, if I'm saved, I'm gonna live saved, but I'm not living saved, so I must have lost my salvation, so I may as well live like hell until I get tired of living like hell, and then I'll get saved again. Do you see the problem? Are you born again or not? Are you a new creature in Christ or not? God is not willing that who would perish? Well, only the, don't fall into that trap where you have to reinterpret your Bible all the time. God so loved the world, well, the world means the elect right there, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, well, whosoever really means the elect right there, believe that it should not perish but be. Are you kidding? The Bible says what it means, it means what it says. You have a free will and you are responsible before God to exercise it. And you don't get to blame God because you got the bit in your mouth and you wanted to run your own way. You get to choose, choose you this day whom you will serve. Are you gonna serve God or are you gonna serve self? Are you gonna serve God or are you gonna serve man? It is a gift that God has given us to choose. Will we freely and of our own will, will we submit to the Lord Jesus Christ? Love is not love without choice. If you had to be married to your mate, think about it this way. Well, I didn't have a choice. I have to do it. I have to love him. Who wants to live that way? I, had, I, I didn't have a choice, I had to, I had to marry this per- person, now I have to love him for the rest of my life. 
No, you choose whether or not you'll love. The consequence of rebellion is told to Adam. He tells him up front, if you eat of this fruit, you will die. Why does God tell him that up front? Like, give him like the, the worst news ever in the history of the world, in the history of humanity. If you eat off that tree, you're a dead man. Why does he do that? Well, God's not willing that Adam would perish. First Timothy 2 verse four says that God's will is to have all men be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. First Peter 3 verse nine, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God gives Adam the good news on how to avoid death. The gospel of Genesis 2 on how to avoid death. And the death would come, this is what we'll see in chapter three, it comes in two parts. There's a physical death, but there's a spiritual death. And Adam dies spiritually the very day that he eats the fruit. He's cut off from God, the garden of God, and the tree of life. Um, But he's also now beginning to die physically. You say, well, he lived over 900 years. I thought in the day that he ate thereof, he would surely die. Nobody in your Bible breaks a grand. Okay, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. What is it? That a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and here's the big one, and a thousand years as a, as a day. A, a, a day is as a thousand years. You know how much God can get done in one day? <laughs> Everything. Um, infinity times over. God's got all the time in eternity to do whatever he wants in this moment right now. Are you willing? Nobody breaks a grand. He died that day. You say, well, God's using fear to motivate Adam, not love. Um, man, if you love your kid, you're gonna talk to him about how to cross the street, and you're gonna talk to him about how they can die. Uh, love is not afraid to use fear. God's always used fear to motivate man not to sin. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. <laughs> we need to be afraid. Okay, we're out of time, let's wrap it up with this. Here's what we're gonna find in Genesis chapter three. Adam does sin in the garden, and he loses access to the tree of life, but that's just the first Adam. The last Adam prays in a garden and wins the victory and becomes the tree of life. Uh, That's what we're gonna see moving forward. Well, actually, on Father's Day, we're gonna, Lord willing, we all get here, we're we're gonna see Adam get a bride and and uh, it, it won't be a Father's Day message as much as it'll be a Husband's Day message. And, and uh, so, so wives will be praying for your husband. They're gonna wanna go fishing on Father's Day just because I said this, and, and don't let him get away with that. Uh, let's come get the goods. Okay, so, so I'll, I'll just leave this with you as homework. You can study this out on your own, but I, I want you to see the connection between um, these trees You know, there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then you're gonna see Christ compared and contrasted. You're gonna see the tree of life and you should see Christ compared. God calls our attention to this tree. You know, 1 Peter 2 verse 24 says that Christ, his own self, bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. You know, when you think about Christ and his connection 
to these trees. Okay, let's think about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Both are in a garden, right? Both are in the midst of the garden. And both function as trees of knowledge of good and evil. But the contrasts are what's shocking to me. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was planted by God in Genesis chapter two. The tree of Calvary was planted by man. All the trees, including the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they're pleasant to the eyes, Genesis 3, 6. Christ was marred beyond any recognition. You could not ID him in a lineup. They messed up his face that bad. Uh, He was marred beyond recognition. God forbade Adam to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because in the day that he ate thereof, he would surely die. The tree of Calvary, God invites all men to partake. All men are commanded to eat of it because it's the way of salvation. Satan wanted Adam and Eve. That's all he wanted was for them to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The last thing that Satan wants is for anybody to kneel at the tree of Calvary. He doesn't want you to partake of the fruit of that tree because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil brings sin and death. The tree of Calvary brings salvation and life. Adam stole the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, the best example of contrast is the repentant thief. Here's a, here's a stealer who is freely given eternal life at the tree of Calvary. In stealing, Adam is turned out of paradise in chapter three, but it's only through the tree of Calvary that you can gain access to paradise. There's only one way of salvation. There's only one way to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. So sinner, if you have not confessed your sin at the foot of Calvary, if you've not called on Christ for forgiveness of sins and for eternal life, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. So I'd like us to bow our heads and humble ourselves as we close. And I'm asking that the only people moving around would be the worship team, okay? You say, well, I gotta go get ready for fellowship. Don't worry, fellowship won't start without you, okay? We'll, we'll get there. Let's take a minute and let's examine ourselves. Do we know, do you know for a fact that you're born again? Do you know for a fact that your sins have been forgiven because Christ, as your sin bearer, took all of the wickedness, the sin, the rebellion, in your life upon himself and that God's wrath was satisfied. God's wrath was poured out on Christ. Christ in your place 2,000 years ago on the tree of Calvary. Do you believe that he died for your sin, that he was buried and that on the third day he arose? He arose to eternal life and that if you just call on him for forgiveness of sin, for Christ to come into your heart and life and save you, that you'd be born again. How many here this morning know for a fact that Christ is their savior? You know for a fact that you've been born again, that you're a child of God. Can I see your hand real big? I know I'm saved. I know that I'm in Christ and he is in me. Okay, man, praise the Lord. That's most of us. Some of us couldn't raise our hand. The Bible is very clear. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting, have eternal life. If that's you, 
God's invitation to you is trust and obey, (laughs) right? Submit to the gospel, receive it. Believe on it and you'll be born again and you'll be called the son of God. In the image of Christ, the image of God will begin to be restored in you. You will be conformed. Everything will fall out and work together for good and you'll be conformed to the image of Christ. That is the work that God wants to do in every life. God is not willing that any would perish, that all would be saved, that all would come to repentance. You say, well, I like living in sin. I like doing, I I like being my own God. You won't like that forever. (laughs) Heaven is real and so is hell. And in the eternity future, the only place apart from God is in a place where sin is quarantined for all eternity, and it's called hell. It's a place of eternal death, it's a place of eternal torment. And those who have not received Christ will pay for their own sin. They'll spend eternity satisfying the wrath of God. And God never wanted that for anyone. And he fell all over himself trying to make sure that never happened to anyone. God loves you, but you have a free will. Is there anybody that would say, Pastor, please pray for me. I don't know that I'm saved. I need to be born again. Pastor, would you pray for me? Can I see your hand? Is there anybody like that in this service? I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know for sure that Christ is my sin bearer. I don't know that I've been made a child of God. Pastor, please, would you pray for me? Is there anyone that would say, Pastor, please pray for me? Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? I'm gonna pray, and then I wanna invite you. We got people available. Just come down front after service, okay? We're gonna dismiss. We're out of time. We're just gonna dismiss with an atmosphere of praise and worship. And um, nobody's in a hurry, please come forward. We wanna meet, we wanna pray with you, we wanna counsel with you. But Father, I, I, I see this young woman who has raised her hand, but Lord, there's, 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 there's usually some that can't because they're uncomfortable or they're afraid or they, they don't wanna point themselves out. God, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you gave us the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you that he was willing to carry our sin and our shame before you to the cross of Calvary. And God, I thank you for this moment for us to consider where we're at in relation to that tree. Lord, we got in trouble as as a race, as humanity. We got in trouble 6,000 years ago in a garden. Thank you for the Lord Jesus submitting to you in a garden (laughs) and saying your will be done. God, you're not willing that any would be lost, that all would be saved, that none would perish, that all would come into eternal life. And so God, today, I just, I pray and I ask that you'd take for your own this this precious woman as your own child, as your own daughter, that today she would confess her sin before you and call on Christ as her redeemer, as her savior and Lord. Father, pray that, 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 the things that we're learning in Genesis would fall out in our conversations, in our Bible studies, that Lord, we would be faithful stewards of what we have been given in your word. That Lord, we would communicate your truth and the power of your Holy Spirit. 
Lord, I pray that all of us would see the assignment that what we've learned this week, we need to communicate, that we need to tell others. And so, Lord, I pray for the ministers at MBT. Lord, bless them. Use them for your glory. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.